0: So tonight, I want to start with this. I, wanna, I want you to think about the first job that you ever had. Okay, you got it in there? And then I want to ask you this. Uh, just show of hands, was your first boss a good boss or a bad boss? If it was a, a good boss, raise your hand. Okay, if it was a bad boss, raise your hand. Me too. My first job... Uh, I worked at a golf course when I was in middle school as a cart boy. You two? Okay. And uh, I think it was because we weren't old enough to really work. We couldn't get paid. So we got paid in free golf and free range balls. And we would wash the carts and do stuff like that. But my first boss was the the golf pro who was an angry alcoholic. And um, he was the worst, And I also kind of worked for the pro shop manager who was just very absent and very checked out. And he would have been the worst if it wasn't for the golf pro who was already the worst. Um, And so when I worked there for these guys, uh, there was just, there was no trust. There was no love. I remember like the first time uh, that that I saw the golf pro when I was working, I was holding a broom because they had told me to go sweep and he walks out and with, with a lot more colorful language, he says, what are you doing? And then he rips the broom out of my hand. He's like, that's not sweeping. This is sweeping. And then he starts sweeping, and then he throws it back at me. And I'm like, thank you, sir. Good to see you, sir. Uh, but, you know, when he was around, we obeyed. I mean, if I saw him walking up, I did everything that I was supposed to do because I didn't want to get yelled at. I, I was, wanted him to pass as quickly as he could. And because we, we didn't like him or respect him when he wasn't around, we would do anything we wanted to do. Um, we had water gun fights with the power washer sprayers when he was gone. We, would, we built a, a ramp out of the gravel, and we would ramp the golf carts down to the back half of the driving range when he was gone. And we just did whatever we wanted to because there was just zero relationship there. There was zero respect, zero trust, zero love, and, um, and that's what happens. And so um, that's where we're, we're going tonight. Um, Paul, in this letter to the Philippians, he, he is talking about um, joy, and he's talking about what it is to have joy in Christ and where joy comes from. And uh, contrary to what we believe and what we are told by so many voices, we think that joy comes from acquiring more more, consuming more, having more, doing more, 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 more. And Paul is saying, actually, no, no, Jesus was telling the truth when he said that you'll find joy in losing. You'll find joy in losing things. And so tonight what we're talking about is um, finding joy in losing your complaining. And now this sermon could very easily be titled Finding Joy in Losing Your Own Wisdom because that's what's really underneath complaining is this pride that I actually know better. Um, when I'm obeying from the heart, um, I can't be complaining because when I'm obeying from the heart, there's a level of trust there. There's a level of love there. And so the passage right before this, Paul has just got done telling the Philippians and reminding the Philippians what God is like in the person of Jesus. God become flesh. Look at what he has done. Look at how he has loved. Look at how he has taken his glory and laid it aside to give everything so that you and I could have life. And so out of, out of who he is, we can trust him, we can obey him, we can follow him. And, and I just want to stop here tonight for us and to think, you know, to ask the question, what about, what about you and I? How do, how do we see God? How do you and I think about obeying God? When I even say the word, when I say the phrase obeying God, what does that do in you? Is that just like bring to mind some harsh taskmaster and just want to like get out from under him? Does it make you think more like an, an image of the alcoholic golf pro uh, who's throwing brooms at everybody? What, what kind of image does that stir up in your, your mind and your heart when we start talking about obeying God from the heart? Um, so I'm going to have Connor Walker come up and read scripture for us tonight.
1: All right, tonight's scripture readings from Philippians two, twelve through 18, if you want to follow along. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent
0: Father, uh, we, we ask you to open our eyes to you tonight. Um, Lord, we, we have all sorts of baggage that we bring into this room and, and our relationship with you. And uh, Lord, we have just such a, a limited perspective. And so we ask in your grace, and your mercy, in your love for us, uh, which we know is there. Lord, you, you are so clear about how you love us. So in your love tonight, would you come in the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you open the eyes of our hearts and our minds so that we would be changed, uh, that we would see you for who you are, we would hear what you were calling us to, and, uh, and we would be changed. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, Paul starts this passage by saying, um, you know, I want you to obey uh, much more in my absence. Just like you've obeyed when I was there with you, I want you to obey even more so in my absence. And what he's saying there is... Hey, at the end of the day, this is about you and God. This is not about me. At the end of the day, there, the, Jesus is going to return and, and the Lord will have a relationship with every single person individually. And so Paul's saying, hey, like, whatever happens to me, remember, Paul's in prison, he's awaiting possible execution. He's like, I may not be here very long, but like, you need, you need to know where you are with the Lord. And so this is really between you and him. And so tonight in, in that vein, um, we're just going to ask the Lord uh, to, to speak to us in this passage. And so the first question is, what are you calling us to here? What are you calling us to? What are you, what are you calling us to? What are you not calling us to? And so um, first, what is he calling us to? He's calling us to obedience. Um, and he, he, Paul's making a connection there. Just as you've always obeyed, so now... Work out your salvation, so now obey even more. That's just another way of saying obey. And so the Lord is calling us to obedience to him from the heart. And this word obedience, this word obedience um, is to pay attention to someone and respond accordingly, and there's this, there's this um, way in which that word is used to answer the door. If someone is knocking or someone is calling at the door, it is to get up and go answer the door. And so that's this idea. And, and Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's this idea of this relationship. Really at the base of obedience is this heart of love for God. It's this relationship between a God who deeply loves us and a people who have been and are being changed by that love and love him in return and trust him. And so... At the root of this obedience is this relationship of love. And so Paul here says, As you have always obeyed, so now work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I want to spend some time on this verse because it, it is such a gift of a, of a truth for us, but it is, it is packaged in such a precarious way that we can really Get, uh, get down the road in the wrong direction pretty quick. And so I want to spend some time here because when you hear that phrase, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, um, that can lead us to some, some places that the Lord is really not intending we go. Um, so what does that mean? What it doesn't mean first is really important. It doesn't mean to just shut up and get in line and do whatever God says out of fear. It doesn't mean to work to achieve your own salvation or to work to keep your own salvation. It doesn't mean any of those things. What does it mean? This this phrase to work out is to, to bring about or to effect. And he's saying the call is to work out your salvation. It's your salvation. You're you're already saved in Christ. So we're not talking about a a personal salvation scheme. We're not talking about having to work hard and do your best and not make a mistake in order to save yourself. This is already your salvation in Jesus. Remember the Jesus we just talked about in the passage before this, who loves you, who gave himself, who emptied himself, who became nothing, who loves you with love beyond anything you could imagine before you've heard this news. To work out this salvation with fear and trembling The way that he's using this phrase, fear and trembling, it certainly includes an awe of God's power. God is almighty, and when you are confronted with the the awesome nature of who God is, there is a healthy fear because he is so big and so powerful and so holy. But this is also a deep awareness not only of his power, but a deep awareness of his love for you, his personal love toward you as his individual son or daughter. You know, we're, we're talking about this Philippian church here. This is the letter to the Philippians. And we mentioned the first week about some of the people who made up this first church. And Acts 16 talks about these people. And one of those, one of those people was the Philippian jailer, who was this retired Roman soldier who was running the night shift at this jail. And, and if you all remember, um, Paul and Silas are in the prison And they're singing worship to God at midnight. And as that's happening, the Lord sends something that seems like an earthquake where all the prisoners' chains fall off. And they're all free and all the prison doors break open. And in this miraculous event, this this jailer thinks that he is ruined. And so he is about to kill himself because he's going to be killed. Because all the prisoners are going to get out of here. And Paul says, wait, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. And it's at that moment that it says the, the jailer came to Paul in fear and trembling and said, how, how am I to be saved? It wasn't just the power of God in the earthquake that freed all the prisoners. It was the power of God and the love of God for this jailer to send a man who was a prisoner who didn't just run away to save himself, but stayed and said, God loves you enough. Don't harm yourself. Nobody's leaving. Nobody's leaving. God is here for you. He is here to bring his salvation, his love to you, Philippian Jailer. And it's in that fear and trembling that he is in disbelief of God's power coupled with God's love for him as an individual. And that's the kind of fear and trembling that we're talking about in this passage. And Paul says, because it is God who works in you, it's not you working. It is God who works in you both to change your desires to give you a different want to and to give you the power of God living in you to affect those new desires, to see those new desires come to be, the power to carry them out. Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 says this. Well, and and it's to work for his good pleasure. It's to work for what brings God joy. And Ephesians 1, 5, and 6 tells us a little bit about what brings God joy. It says, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons Through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus, according to the purpose. It's the same word or the good pleasure or what brings him pleasure of his will. That is his whole design is this salvation project, this redemption project to bring his sons and daughters back to himself. And that is what brings him great joy. Elsewhere in uh, 2 Timothy, it says that it's the will of God that nobody should perish apart from him. Like this is what brings God good pleasure. And so when we put all this together, Paul is saying, to work out your own salvation in awe of God's power and his love for you and and take heart because it's not even in your power that you work. It's in his power. He's the one changing your heart. He's the one giving you new affections and new power to carry out those new affections. And so to work it out is to bring out what he's already put in there. Um, One of our sons loves these things called dino digs and it's like these dinosaur fossils in this rock and it comes with like a little chisel. And that's really what we're talking about here is God has put this thing in the center and he's given you the tools. He's given you everything you need. He's given you this community and his Holy Spirit and his word. And he said, here, just play with this. Just take this now and and work out what he's already put in there. Go find this prize that is going to bring you joy. And that's what it is to work out our salvation. It's the salvation that he's already put in there is to work it out, to, to bring it out, to let it show through the way that we obey him. And we're able to obey him from the heart because now we know who he is. Before, we were terrified of him because we were apart from him in our sin. And now he's saying, no, no, no. I'm not who you think I am. I'm not the enemy. Um, I'm the lover of your soul who has come to rescue you. And so you don't have to be afraid of me anymore. I've done everything to bring you back to myself. And so now with that knowledge of this God who loves us, who's in us, who's united himself to us and is working in us. He's like, hey, just come and pick up the shovel and start digging with me and unearth this beautiful treasure that is this new creation that I've put in you. Um, I've really been loving John Foreman uh, I don't know if y'all know who John Foreman is. He was the lead singer of Switchfoot. Maybe still, I don't know if they're still doing stuff, but he's got a solo career and I, just, I love his lyrics. I love his stuff. And his newest album has a song called Side by Side. And he talks about exactly what we're talking about here in this song of what it is to, uh, to work at our so- salvation like this. He says, the best me is unafraid when I'm deeply aware of the love of the maker that made me. And maybe somewhere deep inside... Under the fake me, underneath my pride, is more than a daydream where I finally find the missing piece that I've been looking for. It's this idea that we are still living in this body of flesh. We are still living in, in this self that there's a part of us, the old self, that wants to be so proud and so self-focused and make everything about me, me, me. And that's not the real us anymore. That is the fake us that the Lord is saying. That's, that's the junk that comes off when you put the pick in the dinosaur fossil. And so keep digging with me because it's in my power that you dig and you're going to find the real you underneath this, which is so beautiful now. And so this is what he's calling us to. He's calling us to obedience. And so our next question is, why are you calling us to this? Uh, I've already kind of jumped the gun a little bit and spoiled the surprise, but he's called us to this because he loves us. And the alternative to this is what he's saving us from, which is a life of slavery a life of slavish obedience out of fear. Anything other than obedience from the heart to God is a life of pride apart from him. If I could see him for who he was, I would run to him. But when I can't, I run from him. And that reveals that I'm still separated from him. And, and Paul tells us here that the, one of the greatest revealers of where we are with God is this What he says in verse 14 is our ability to to do all things. Again, that's another synonym for obedience, is to be able to obey from the heart without grumbling or disputing. Okay, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about grumbling and disputing. That word, to grumble, just means to complain. It's it's pride. Um, Complaining comes from pride because it's saying, I deserve better than this or this is wrong, actually, God. Like, you actually got this wrong. This is not what was supposed to happen to me. This is not what life was supposed to be like for me. You messed up. I know better. I could do better at your job, God. And when I'm in that place, there is no relationship between he and I. There is no trust. There is no love. There is is nothing going on there. In Exodus 16, Uh, when Moses is leading God's people, they got very frustrated with him more than once, but this is one of the times that they did. And Moses said this to them in their grumbling. Uh, They were mad at he and Aaron, and he says, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And so is yours, and so is mine. Every time we find ourselves complaining and grumbling because somebody in our life is difficult, because it's always somebody else. It's not me. It's always my supervisor or my spouse or my friend or whoever. The, the guy in the car in front of me. But it's always somebody else. But ultimately it's not. Ultimately all that is directed upward at God. And I think a lot of times we know that we're just too afraid to acknowledge it. all of our complaining and grumbling is against God for the way that he has ordered our lives in such a way that we don't think is right or that we don't like. And so you can see how that's a really dangerous place to be. And then this word disputing is to reason out thoroughly for myself. Okay. So that's, that's a lot of pride in there too, is that I'm going to think about this so much. And in my Vast mental faculties, I'm going to decide in my infinite wisdom whether this is good or not. Whether this is a good plan, whether this is the way things should go. And it's living like, you know, this is way, way beyond most of the people in this room, but when Ronald Reagan was president uh, and he was having to deal with the Soviet Union, he had this really famous phrase trust but verify. It's like, okay, I'll trust you, but we're also going to go behind and verify whether what you're saying is true. And Honestly, I and I think a lot of us live our relationship with God in a trust but verify stance. I will trust you. I will follow you as long as I can get around and see the next three steps ahead and make sure I like where those steps are going. And then I'm on board. But if I can't and I don't like where it's going, then I'm going to pull back and I'm going to start making decisions in my own power. And in the moment, that feels good because it feels like you're avoiding pain. It feels like you are in control. But it is such a lie. And, and we can see this from the very beginning of time, the very beginning of human history, Genesis 3, where everything goes south. Let me just read. This is, this is a, a, the first example of disputing in Scripture. Genesis 3, 2 through 6. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither should you touch it or you'll die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Don't listen to him. Listen to me. And that's the problem with our our whole program of trusting our own faculties is that we fail to take into account that there is an enemy out there who is infinitely wiser and smarter and craftier than we are, who is working on us constantly. And when we have our own ideas, that are different from God's, they're really not our ideas at all. They're his ideas. And it says, so when the woman saw, when she started reasoning for herself, that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate And Paul talks about this in Romans one twenty one. It says, "From, from then on, we became futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts were darkened. God is trying to save us from this life that ultimately is not a life that ultimately leads to death because he loves us. Because this life, this life of pride and complaining leads us to a life of anxiety. And worry, we are picking up stuff that is way too heavy for us to handle. It is way above our pay grade to try to design and plan out our whole life and how we're going to think about and react to everything. That's the freedom that Jesus talks about when he says, take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy. Just follow me. Just trust me. You were meant to trust me like a child. You are not meant to play God for yourself and be in the control booth for every decision in every way in every angle. It is going to wear you out. It's going to to destroy you. You weren't made for this. It's going to lead to a lot of pain because whatever he calls us to, it's for our good. It's going to lead to a lot of disunity. All the things that Paul's been talking about, about gospel partnership and the whole reason we were made and the, the way that we were made to have unity and life together with one another becomes impossible when we start living like this. And it ultimately brings death because we are separated from God because complaining like this is incompatible with obedience from the heart and this relationship that, that is underneath it that is so, so important. But we, we live like this because we've been hurt by authority. We live like this because we've all had an alcoholic golf pro throw brooms at us. And we, we start making vows like, I'm never going to let that happen again. And we start living out of those vows without even knowing it. And now all of a sudden we're comparing God with these people and saying, well, I can't obey him like that because I can't trust him because look at what all these people did. But God's really clear in scripture. He says, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher than your ways. You cannot Make me in the image of a man like you. I am not. I am good, and you can trust me, and I am love. I am wisdom. I am goodness. And so as we, we want to run from him in this pain, but he is calling us to run to him, and in Jesus he's given us the power to run to him and to trust in him. And, you know, Paul says here in this passage in verse 17, um, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and I rejoice because it's worth it. If my life is to be poured out so that it can further you having a trust and a love relationship with God that can lead to obedience from the heart, that's worth it. And you know where he got that from? From Jesus his Savior, his Lord, because Jesus did the very same thing. That's what Jesus modeled for Paul and for us, is he was poured out so that he could be poured into us. His life was emptied out so that he could be joined to us and literally live inside of us because that is how deeply we are loved by him. So he is calling us, God is calling us to a life of obedience from the heart because he loves us. And so the next question is, okay, how do we lean in? How do we run to him and not away from him? How do I lean into this life? Well, you're going to see that the the same three culprits are, are showing up again. It's the word and the spirit of God, the word of God, and the people of God. That's how we lean in. Here he says, you hold fast to the word of life. This gospel, this truth that is God's word to us, you hold fast to that. You do not let it go. You trust this more than anything because it is God himself speaking to you in his word. And we lean in, going back to Revelation 3.20, Jesus knocking at the door. Um, there, there's, a, there's a first time in which when we come to faith, we open that door. As, as he knocks on the door, comes into our life and changes everything, but there's a, a million little ways in which we open the door, and that's what obedience looks like in Christ as we hear him knocking at different places in our lives. Hey, hey, it's time to go <laughs> confess your sin to that person. Hey, it's time to go ask for forgiveness from that person. Hey, it's time to stop doing this. It's time to start doing this. It's time to walk into these scary places and deal with some ghosts from the past. He's always knocking and leading us into life. And our, our call now is to open the door. And let him in and let him have his way. Let him do whatever he wants to do because we can trust him. Because he is always working to lead us to life. An example from this week for me is the Lord just made it very clear to me, hey, for now, I'm asking you to not drink anymore. I was like, okay. I don't know how long that's going to last or, or what, but that's what he's calling me to. And, and he's always calling us. It's just whether we're listening. And there's some things like this that he's calling us to that require a response. And then there's some things that he calls us to that we don't, I mean, we, we have to respond, but it's not a choice that we walk in or out of. It's just suffering. It's just hard things that he allows into our life for his good purposes that may be a mystery to us. And it's walking into those things saying, man, this is really painful. I have no idea why you're allowing this. But I know, I know that you love me. I know that you are good. And I know that you are powerful. And so I'm just walking in like this. And that's where this community comes in because that's really hard. To live like that and to not run away and run back into our old ways is really, really hard. And we are going to need each other. And Jesus makes that really clear. We are going to need each other to remind ourselves of who he is, that he can be trusted, that that is where life is. And they call one another back when we're <laughs> trying to run away. It's grabbing the back of the shirt as they're out the door. No, 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 no. God loves you. We love you. This is where life is. And remember, it's the Holy Spirit, it's not us, who's already at work within us to bring these changes. We're just responding to the, the work that he's already doing. And so the last question for us is, what will this look like? What will this look like for us as a community, as individuals, as Midtown West, as we continue to walk in obedience with Jesus or maybe start walking in obedience with Jesus? Well, for one, we're going to stand out. That's what Paul says here. You are going to stand out from the rest of this culture that is running in the opposite direction. You're going to feel different. You're going to look different. You're going to be treated different because you're going to be different. You're a new creation, and that's going to become more and more evident. Second, you're going to be childlike. You're going to be free. You're going to, you're going to be able to laugh and play and trust because we are children of God, and we are becoming more and more and more childlike as we learn to just trust him and obey him. And lastly, we're going to be radiant. We're going to become beautiful. And it's in that beauty, shining as lights in this world, um, that he is going to use the beauty of your life and my life to draw people to himself and to set us free and to set other people free. And then we get to enjoy that freedom together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for continuing to knock on the door Thank you for continuing to unearth in us this beautiful new creation that you have made us. Lord, would you you give us the courage and the humility and the love that we need and the fellowship. Lord, these, these brothers and sisters here, would you give us everything that we need, as you already promised that you will, to follow you in this life of obedience. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.